one of those songs, There is a Fountain, was written by a man named William Cowper. William Cowper lived in England and London back in the uh, late 1700s and early 1800s. And his pastor was a man by the name of John Newton. John Newton pastored a little church in London, and William Cowper was in his church. Now, you know John Newton as the author of the song Amazing Grace. Can you imagine in one little church in a little part of downtown London, two men with the caliber of John Newton and William Cowper writing songs for their time and for their day and for their people. And both of those songs, interestingly enough, were written for children, for children, to teach children the important truths. One, amazing grace, that God's grace is truly amazing. And William Cowper writing about a fountain filled with blood from Emmanuel's veins, that through Jesus, we are all underneath that flood. Isn't that amazing? Two men in the same church 200 years ago writing songs that we are singing today and that we still understand exactly the truths that they carry. And then we sing songs that were written five years ago. That's the power of music. And so I really want to say thank you to our praise team uh, in leading us this morning. Thank you for having me back. Uh, It is an honor to be back with you. Uh, It's always nice to be invited two Sundays in a row because the first Sunday, if you liked it, you'll come back. And if you didn't like it, well, our attendance will plummet and everyone will know how we stand. But it's so good to be back this morning. Our family was a little bit on a tour of Kentucky uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, We had a wedding to do. I had a wedding to do in Ohio County. And so we drove from Campbellsville to Hartford, Hartford to Owensboro, where we spent the night in a hotel, Hartford or to Owensboro the next morning to Lewisport, my hometown, to visit my family. Lewisport back to Hartford in Ohio County to do the wedding, then back to Lewisport to finish the Christmas celebration, the family celebration through Hardensburg. I drove by Cecilia last night about nine o'clock and I was thinking about you because I had been on Highway 86 and you all know how much I love Highway 86 Drove through here and then, of course, back to Campbellsville. And so we were on a little circuit of Kentucky, and it's good to be back this morning. Good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to turn back to where we were last week in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In just a few moments, I'm going to read from verse 14 through 17. And if you have a bulletin, please take out the little green sermon notes. I think it will help you follow me today and hopefully keep us all together. Last Sunday, we looked at this passage and drew from it that Jesus is full of grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Would you say that with me? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We really focused in on verse 16 where Jesus is being attributed as having given grace upon grace upon grace and that we have received that from his fullness. Well, it's not only grace that Jesus has come to give and 
is from his fullness. It's grace and something else. It's grace and another side of the coin. And this morning, I'd like to turn the coin over from grace to the other thing that Jesus has come that John announces. And that is truth. That Jesus is full of both grace and truth. Now, we understand that we live in a world where you need to apply both grace and truth. Amen? If you've parented a child, you know that at times you need to apply grace. And there are times that you need to apply what? Some truth. In my line of work, I find that to be regularly part of my dealings with students. I'm a teacher by trade. Sometimes I need to deal some grace. Other times, I need to deal a little bit of what? Truth. This was apparent a couple weeks ago. We had a Christmas break, and it was about to begin the new semester. Our new semester began this past week. And a series of students had been suspended after the Christmas break because their grades had dropped too low. And in receiving this news over the holiday, they wanted to come back to school in the spring. But in order to have their suspension revoked, they had to sit before what we call an appeal committee, which I happen to be on. Six students were seated before us, a group of about 20 faculty and staff and administrators. And we heard six stories from six students who wanted to come back, who wanted to be back in school, who had been suspended. And let me tell you, we had to think carefully about their appeal. I don't want to share all six stories. but I want to give a highlight of just two of those. Uh, two students of interest to me. One, let me refer to as the gamer. One young man was suspended, and he came to our appeal committee, and he explained why his grades were complete F's for the fall. He didn't go to class. He didn't come out of his dorm. Goodness, he barely bathed. Yeah, I saw your faces. I thought the same thing. But do you know what he was doing instead of going to class or going to his uh, activities? He was playing video games. 14 to 18 hours a day playing video games. One particular video game. He had barricaded himself essentially in his dorm room and completely shut out all other life. He was consumed by this game. Completely consumed such that it required hours of his day. I mean, goodness, that's more than a 12-hour workday. He was putting 14, 15, 16, 17 hours a day in front of a screen playing a game all day long. He didn't take a shower. He didn't take a break. He barely went to the bathroom. He was playing a game. Now, let me ask you, how should we approach this gamer? With grace or with truth? Well, we needed to approach it a little bit with both, didn't we? Now, grace in that we needed to understand this young man probably needed a second chance. This young man probably needed a, a new opportunity. But we also needed to deliver some truth, did we not? Nod with me if you agree with me. Need to deliver some truth. Some truth that this is not going to be successful in your future. This is not going to end up well. This is actually going to harm you and hurt you for a lifetime if you don't get this straightened out. Friend, young man, 
17, 18, 19-year-old young man, you got to wake up to the reality that in real life, you can't do this for 14 hours a day. You gotta do your work. You gotta do your assignments. We had to apply grace and truth. I'm happy to say he was back in class this week and he attended all of his classes. Do you know why? We checked grace and what? Truth. Another One of those appeals was a young lady who I'm going to refer to as grief-stricken. Very different than the gamer. About a month into classes in the fall, her mother died. 18-year-old young lady, completely lost to grief. The spiral really had begun. She was in a deep depression, a deep dive. She wasn't functioning much less attending class, reading books, writing papers. She was barely able to get out of bed. How do you apply the same principles to her? Do you show grace? Of course. But you also need to help her with truth. You need to help her understand that there are some counseling services available to her. There's a way to see the light even in the midst of the darkest moments. That while she is dealing with debilitating grief, we still have to give her hope that it's part of her future. Yes, her mama's gone. But that doesn't mean her life's over. And that we need to distribute some grace and truth. That she needs to think about what she wants to be and where she wants to go and, and how she can live for her mom as a successful college graduate in the real world doing what God had called her to do. You know, it's both grace and truth. It's the both and. And John's announcement to us in John chapter 1 about Jesus is not just a person of grace, a Messiah of grace, a Savior of grace. It's also that Jesus has come to bring truth and truth upon truth upon truth. He came full of grace, full of grace. But Jesus in the same way came full of what? Truth. We read that in John chapter 1 verse 14. The scripture says this. Now the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father. Say it with me. Full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Repeat that last phrase with me. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me share three principles with you. Three brief but important principles. The first principle I want to share with you is that Jesus works in our lives in the same way that we had to work with those students at the appeals committee. Jesus works in our lives with the both and, not either or. 
Jesus works in our lives with a both and, not an either or. You saw it in the passage that we read from both last week and this week. That verse 14 tells us that we have observed his glory. The glory of the one and only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. It's a both and not an either or. John continues that theme in verse 17. When he says that the law came through Moses. That's the law God gave on Mount Sinai. Containing 613 laws and commandments. The operation of the people of Israel, the children of God, how they are to function with one another, the Ten Commandments included in those. That's what the law came through. But through Jesus comes grace and truth. And this is what I find, friends. I find that we, as followers of Jesus, as those who have been called upon his, by His name, we want all the grace Well, we don't always want the truth. Isn't that true? We want the grace. We want to have grace upon grace when we make mistakes and when we screw up. We want grace upon grace when we do things we know we should not do. But we often neglect or ignore or completely push away that Jesus also is full of truth. It's, it's our human nature to want forgiveness and, and to be made wet, right and to be wiped clean. It's in our human nature to want the fullness of Jesus' grace. I've even heard God-fearing men and women do something horrific. And they'll say this. Well, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. But if you really understand who Jesus is, it's not an either or. It's the both and. It's both grace and truth. That through Jesus, there is a reality, there is a truthfulness, there is a right and a wrong, a good and an evil, and Jesus brings that truth. He is full of both what? Grace and truth. You can say it with me. But do we really live that out? Do we let the truth of Jesus stand in our life? And do we let the truth of Jesus direct our decisions. Let's, let's take a little test. Let's take a little test. Can we take a test? I'm a teacher by trade. I give tests from time to time. You know, tests often have both grace and somewhat truth. I want to take just a few passages of Scripture and test us a bit. See if we really allow the truth of Jesus to redirect our lives, to redirect our actions. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, you have the lengthiest portion of Jesus' teaching. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in a few of those, there are some pretty hard truths that Jesus requires of his followers. Such as Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Does that that sound reasonable to you? To love enemies, to pray for those who hurt you, to pray for those who have persecuted you, to, to pray for those individuals on a regular basis? Now, I've prayed for some enemies. Prayed that God would strike them down. Prayed that God would... 
lightning bolt them, you know. Which actually is interesting because those prayers are in the Bible called precatory prayers. I like those prayers against my enemies. But to really love my enemy, love those that harm me, who drag my name in the mud, who say all kinds of evil things against me, who make up lies about me. You know, on Friday, about 800,000 federal workers did not receive a paycheck. I wonder if they're feeling a lot of love for the politicians right now. You know, some of them obviously are Christians. Some of them obviously are followers of Christ. Are they praying for those that are holding up their paycheck? Are they loving those who are arguing in D.C.? Is that really a feeling they have? If they know Jesus, if you know Jesus, we have to recognize he's delivering some truth here. And think about Jesus from the cross. Those that were crucifying him, did Jesus not show them the greatest love? When he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not even know what they're doing. You see, he has modeled this for us. He has modeled that he loves his enemies and prays for those who persecutes him. And he calls us to do the same. Friends, that's tough. It's difficult. Well, there's another in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, same chapter, verse 21 and 22. Let's take another test question. Are you ready for another one? Y'all didn't look like you liked the first question very much. Much less the second question. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, You have heard that it was said that you to our ancestors do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the courts. And whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Jesus, really? Anger? I mean, none of us in this room can ever say, I've never been angry before. I've never got hot, got riled up. I mean, everybody has lost their temper a time or two. Everybody has said things in anger they didn't mean to say. People of everyone in this room could probably say, I've, I've insulted somebody in anger. Ridiculous. I'm censoring myself here because that wouldn't be appropriate for this congregation. But we've all had those experiences. And Jesus is saying, hang on. If, if you experience that anger, if you insult another, if you call someone a fool. Now, let me tell you, there have been some driving scenarios where someone cut me off where the word fool came out real fast. Maybe even a word worse than you fool. But Jesus is calling us to truth. That we need to control that emotion. That we need to ask for his grace to bring us back to a place of peace. That we need to apologize to those that we've become angry at. That we've insulted. That we have offended. we got to do what Jesus calls us to do. Let me give you one more test question. I can't help myself. Matthew chapter 6 verse 14 and 15. Still the Sermon on the Mount. This is a tough one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive 
your offenses. Come on, Jesus. This is tough. In all of our lives, there is a person or an event or maybe a group that we might never be willing to say, I forgive you. We, we might forgive the person who cut us off in the traffic lane. We might forgive the person who bumped our car at the grocery store. We might even forgive our spouse for forgetting our birthday. But Jesus, you know, you know about that scenario, that situation, that person. You know what happened. I, I can't forgive them. Well, here's some truth. What if God said that to you? Because God knows about that situation and that scenario and that person. And if you're unwilling to give forgiveness, would the Father withhold forgiveness to you? According to Jesus, yes. See, it's both grace and truth. It's not one without the other. It's not either or. It's both and. It's both grace and truth. Second principle I want to share with you, and this is the why. That's the what. This is the why. Why is this the case? Why is this so? Well, the reason why this is the case, this is so, is because Jesus is the truth. Amen? Jesus is the truth. He says so much of himself in John chapter 14, verse 6. When Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, definitive article, I am the truth. In his interaction with Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18, Jesus says these words. I was born for this. And I have come into the world for this. This is Jesus saying why I have come into the world. To testify to what? The truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus says I have come into the world to testify to the truth. That anyone, everyone who listens to me is listening to the truth. He says in John chapter 8 to a group of Jews who had believed in him. In verse 31, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples. Oh, friends, I love this verse. And you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? And the truth will set you free. He is both grace and truth, but he is both Grace and truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. That if you listen to his voice, you're listening to truth. And if you let that truth permeate into your life, it will set you free. It will not be a law or a shackle or something that will restrain you through the truth of Jesus. Because he is the truth. There is freedom and there is grace and there is hope and there is life. Because Jesus is the truth. And through him, we can be free. Friends, I invite each and every one of you to seek and to savor the truth that is Jesus. Because I want to give you one final principle. One final thought as we close. It's that Jesus knows your truth. Jesus knows your truth.
John chapter 4, if you are still in your Bibles, just turn over there. I want to refer to a final verse in just a minute. Y'all doing okay? Y'all doing all right? John chapter 4 is this amazing telling of Jesus' interaction with a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, mentioned last week. There is so much in this passage, so much information and theology and doctrine. Much of what we know about worship is in this passage. Much about racial reconciliation is in this passage. Even about relationships between men and women, Jews and Gentiles, insiders and outsiders. uh, Teaching on what it means to be satisfied with the living water. But I just want to break it down into Jesus's interaction with the woman and her truth. Scripture says that he made his way to Samaria, a way that he didn't have to go, but he had a divine appointment to go. And he goes into this region called Sychar, which is just kind of an offshoot town. And there's a well there, a well that had been dug during the time of Jacob. Now, this is millennia before And the disciples go into town to get some food, but Jesus stays at the well, and a woman comes out to draw water. Well, there's lots of cultural things going on here. A Jewish man, a Samaritan woman. Middle of the day, not the time you go to collect water. A situation where men and women don't really have personal conversations, particularly Jesus And another stranger or a Samaritan. This is all kinds of dynamics going on. But Jesus asked the woman to give him a drink from the well. He didn't have a bucket. He didn't have a ladle. And so she offers him a drink. And he begins teaching her about who he is. And about what he does in the hearts and lives of people. Eternal life. Living water. But then there was this exchange. It picks up most clearly in verse 16. Jesus asked her to go and call her husband. Go ask your husband to come out. Now the woman has a choice here, friends. She has an opportunity. She has a decision to make. There's there's two ways that she can go. She can try to realize what the question means or she can kind of divert around it. And she chooses diversion and she says, sir, I have no husband. And Jesus comments back, you have answered correctly. You have no husband. Because in fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you're now with is not your husband. Now, theologians have tried to assert, was she widowed five times? Was she divorced five times? Was it a mixture of both? The reality is I believe there's something in her diversion that probably tells us this is an area of shame and embarrassment, humiliation, regret. But even if you go beyond the five husbands of the past, she's now in a live-in, cohabitation, shacking up scenario. She's just as embarrassed about the current day as she is about what has happened in her past. And he's being full of grace and truth. 
She says to him, I see that you're a prophet. And, and she tries to divert again. Well, and our, our fathers told us to worship on this mountain, but your people said worship on that mountain. And he has this conversation with her. But at the end of the day, that conversation about her husbands, about her past, about her present, is the truth that Jesus is delivering to her. The theology, the doctrine, the teaching about worship or living water is actually secondary to what she's dealing with in that it's about her current situation with her marriages, and with her live-in. And the scripture tells us that Jesus is so full of truth, he's so full of the truth, that when we listen to his voice, the truth of his teaching comes alive, and she's confronted with this. And friends, this is how it works for you. If you really dive deep into a relationship with Jesus, there will be times when he confronts you with his truth. It's like a dividing line in the sand. It's kind of a a line that's been drawn. Just as we had to deal with those students about grace and truth, there had to be an opportunity, a moment where we right wrong thinking, right wrong behaving. And Jesus does the same thing for us if we're willing to receive his truth. He shows us the way. This woman is so caught off guard. We read in verse 29 that she rushes back into town because she's out at the well And her words to the townspeople, to the folks that know her, know her past, know her situation, the words she says to the whole town is, come see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Did Jesus tell her everything she ever did? Well, he didn't have a laundry list. He didn't have an alphabetical account of her whole life her whole failures, her whole mistakes. He confronted her on her marital situation and her live-in situation. But to her, it was as if Jesus confronted her with everything. Sometimes when Jesus delivers to us truth, we feel completely exposed, completely laid bare. It's like our book is completely opened. But Jesus offers the same to her That he offers to you and me. He's full of grace. And truth. And while the truth had been dealt to her. The reality is through Jesus' forgiveness. So has grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus. It's not either or. It's both and. And I believe that woman went away new. Now, she probably had some decisions to make. She had probably had to deal with her live-in situation. Probably had to confront the reality that there's been some bumps in the past, but through the forgiveness of Jesus, there is hope for the future. She probably had to come to grips with some decisions and choices that were going to be about her coming days. But friends, let me tell you, every time we allow Jesus to confront us in truth, there is always an equal and a gracious opportunity for grace to be applied. He doesn't just confront us to make us feel broken, sinful, and ashamed. He confronts us to make us have a future and a hope and a new way of thinking so that grace can be applied and right living can be assured. He's full of grace and he's full of truth because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him.
This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that has saved. And this is the Jesus that we want to walk with in our life. Let's pray together. Just this morning, if you're here and you recognize there are some areas that need truth to be applied. Fervent, consistent truth. Maybe you just confess those right now to the Lord and allow grace and truth to be applied to you. Maybe there are others here who haven't trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so this whole idea of Him knowing and walking with you and walking alongside of you and showing you, it's never really been a part of who you are. It may be because you've never trusted Him as Lord and Savior and began a relationship with Him. You've never confessed your sin and placed your faith wholly in Him. Maybe this morning you would like to make that decision for the very first time. Maybe there are others here this morning that say, I've leaned so heavily on grace that I haven't really dealt significantly with his truth. Or maybe there's some on the other side that says, I live so right and wrong in his truth that I've really never received his grace. Maybe this morning in this time, you would like just to wash in the grace of Jesus. Wash in the truth of Jesus. I'll be here. I'll be happy to pray with you. The altar is always open. If you'd like to come, please do so after we pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to respond to a Savior who is full of both grace and truth. I pray you help us respond appropriately now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand?